Our vision is to give every baseball player around the world the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, respond to the message, and grow in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This is the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast with Full Count Ministries. Hey guys, it's a new week and a new opportunity to learn something new. Carter here, and Chad has chapter 2 of 2 Peter ready for us. This is the seventh episode of eight in the series we're going through on First and Second Peter. We're coming down to the end of the series, and I wanted to go ahead and give you a heads up on some content coming down the pipeline with Full Count before we get started here. We have the We Are study that will be available on the app in August, particularly for our annual Fall League, but it'll be available to you, too which takes us through the gospel simply and gives our guys the opportunity to take an identity as a Christ-following baseball player. So, be on the lookout for that. Hope you're finishing strong in the first and second Peter book study with us. Invite somebody, uh, invite some guys to go through the We Are study this fall for six weeks. And then, I think we have plans to go through our zeal study after that, but we will let you know. Okay, I'm going to pass the mic over to Chad so he can get started. He's got a more serious but really good message for you on the chapter. Thanks for tuning in to the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast as we dive into 2 Peter chapter 2. Hey, full count, it's Chad Hutton. Today's podcast is 2 Peter chapter 2, and I want to start off by saying it's going to be a little bit aggressive because Peter gets aggressive in this situation. Now, by summary, remember, this is Simon Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the leaders of the disciples. He had um, betrayed Jesus by denying him three times, but then Jesus restored him. Jesus said that he would be a shepherd in the kingdom of God. And now this is late in Peter's life. He's an older gentleman. We know that he was crucified upside down under the reign of Nero, the emperor in the Roman Empire. And uh, Peter had mentioned in this second epistle in the first chapter that he's on his last leg. So he is warning these sheep. He's being a good shepherd, warning them. A couple of things to uh, consider The book of Jude, which is uh, the half-brother of Jesus, has a lot of similar material to chapter 2 of 2 Peter. So you can look at that if you would like. Some scholars think that maybe uh, Peter had read some of Jude or Jude had read some of uh, 2 Peter. We don't know. Maybe there was a mutual document that they were looking into. We really just don't know. But there's a lot of similarity that's very helpful when you study 2 Peter. And it's also important to know that according to this apostle, Peter, Simon Peter, who did not go to seminary, who is a blue-collar fisherman, doctrine matters. And as we've talked about in prior podcasts, uh, you've got orthodoxy, which is appropriate doctrine and truth, and orthopraxy, which is appropriate practice, how you live your lifestyle. They go together together 
And orthodoxy fuels orthopraxy. Peter is saying that doctrine matters because that fuels how you live. And he is going to warn against the false teachers and he is going to lay into them because these false teachers are wolves and they're leading sheep astray and they're causing sheep to stumble and to doubt. And Peter's not having it. Remember, as a shepherd, you are a guardian first. You're a fighter. You're a protector. If you're a disciple maker, if you're a mentor, you don't even have to have the official office of pastor. You need to be gentle with the sheep and sharp with the wolf. There, there is no in-between. And so Peter here, uh, and, and I'm going to mention a couple of things just kind of as an overview. He's going to mention destruction several times. He's going to mention judgment several times times. He's going to talk about being tormented when he gets to Abraham's nephew, Lot, living in Sodom and Gomorrah, surrounded by sin. He's going to talk about how the false teachers, they're indulgent. They have, they sin passionately, even in the broad daylight, which is actually not typical of the Roman empire. If you sin, you kind of did it at nighttime. You reveled in your passions at nighttime. These false teachers, they don't even care. They do it in broad daylight. He talks about how they despise authority, even spiritual uh, beings. He calls them animals, ignorant. He says that they're adulterous, they're greedy, they're sensual, but worse, they're influential. If you've got a guy living in sin, uh, but he has no voice, maybe he's not a problem. But as soon as he has a voice in the church, you better stand up for the bride of Christ and protect the bride of Christ. Now, the way I'm going to talk, it's going to be a little bit intense, but you've got to feel what Peter is sensing, his frustration on the last days of his life where he's warning these individuals, the sheep, as a shepherd, and he knows he's about to die and they, they've got to remember these things because he's not going to be around anymore to remind them. That's why scripture is so important. One of the things he says about the false teachers, and by the way, it doesn't matter if this was 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago or a year ago, the false teachers are all the same in all generations. They, they talk a big game. They look really religious. They've got a lot of spiritual activity, but no productivity. I don't care if somebody says they've got a name. I don't care who they think they know. I don't care how they advertise and promote and market themselves. If they're not productive, they are a joke. They are a clown and you ought not follow them. And you have to warn other people that are getting sucked in to their influence. So you, it's important to contextualize this for our modern age. There's a lot of progressive Christianity going on, which is not Christianity at all. There's a lot of political Marxist views going on in our culture right now. We cannot stand by and be quiet. It doesn't mean that we do riots in the street, but we've got to instruct and protect the bride of Christ, the children of God, and our own personal family, because we are guardians. We are guardians of truth, we are guardians of the name of Christ, the, the reputation of Christ, and we've got to be protectors of the kingdom of God. Now, there's some language here 
that you know when you get into the uh, he he calls these false teachers pigs swimming in their own filth dogs drinking their vomit i mean th- this is fighting language uh, and Peter's probably the type of guy that was kind of a, a, a guy that God fights. He was rough. He was brash. That, that is in the favor of the kingdom of God. We need a guy on our team like that. Yes, a pastor is supposed to be gentle with the sheep, encourage, inspire, motivate. But as soon as they sense and smell a wolf on the horizon, they've got to attack. In fact, they've got to be quicker than the wolf. They've got to be proactive, not just reactive. And so in this situation, it's kind of like a good coach. You know, a good coach, they've trained their players, they've invested in their players, they believe in their players. So what happens when there's a bad call on one of the players? The coach gets out of the dugout and they start running out on the field. They may start kicking some dirt and they give the umpire an earful. You know why? Because they're the coach. They love their players. They've invited their players on the team. They've poured their heart and soul into these players and into the game. Their blood, sweat, and tears. They're going to take it personally. This is, this is their teammates. They're considered a part of the team, the coaches. And their teammates are getting pummeled. They're going to take it personally personally. Same thing with the kingdom of God. When there's heresy and when people are being led astray by a sensual, wicked, debauchery lifestyle, we should take it personally. Yes, there's a time to unite, but there's also a time to divide. And we have to know what that time is. Now, in the first couple of verses, when he talks about the false teachers, he's like, listen, there's always been false teachers and false prophets. They're here today. They'll be here tomorrow. And they have destructive heresies. They bring in these secret secrets. So these are people that are within the church. These are not necessarily people on the outside of the church. And he uses this language in, in the first verse about denying the master that bought them. And what's interesting about that is that doesn't mean that they officially were bought by Jesus and that they lost their salvation. If you go to the Old Covenant, so here's just one example in Deuteronomy 32 verse 5 and 6, you see the same type of language where God is saying it's like he purchased Israel by redeeming them out of slavery in Egypt, but the majority of those people were not faithful to God. They didn't put their trust in God. They didn't have a relationship with God. So even though there's this language that they've been bought, that doesn't mean they officially have been. And some of these false teachers They've experienced the goodness of God. They experienced the goodness of the church, the family of God. They've experienced the goodness of hearing the truth and the gospel, yet they don't live it out. And they bring in destructive teachings. And Peter is taking it personally, and we should as well. So there's a difference between saying you're a Christ follower and actually being one. This is why it's important to understand the word apostate. Apostate is not a person that lost their salvation. Apostate is a person that looked and appeared for a little while like they were a Christ follower because they learned the Christianese, they learned how to dress, they learned when to show up, how to carry their Bible around, how to go on this uh, trip and that trip and this service project and that service project. They learned the ropes, but after six months, after a year, after two years, maybe after three or four years, 
Sometimes it, it usually doesn't take that long. They start to fall away or they start using their voice to divide people. They start using their voice to call attention to themselves. And then that's when you start seeing these red flags where you realize this person is not a legitimate Christ follower. Where is the love of Christ? Where is the grace and the truth of Christ? That's what apostate is. They appeared to be legitimate, but they were found out to be like Judas. In the in the chapter 2 of 2 Peter, verse 2, he says they blaspheme the way of truth. That word blaspheme means slander. Slander the name of Christ, the name of truth. Remember Bon Jovi? You give love a bad name. Well, that's right. They give love a bad name. These false teachers do. They give Christ a bad name. Listen, if you're going to name the name of Christ, you better make him look good. If you're going to be on his team, you better recognize it's not all about you. It's all about him. You are ambassador of reconciliation. You represent his very name. Now, are you going to drop the ball? Are you going to make an error? Are you going to goof up? Of course you are. But you're trying You're trying to bring honor and glory to Jesus. And these false teachers were giving Christ and truth and love a bad name. They exploit people with their words. They manipulate people. So he's going to talk about judgment. And he gives three examples. Simon Peter does. Starting in verse 4, he talks about the angels. If God does not spare angels who fell away, who turned their back on God, if, if he puts them in a dungeon, God's not going to spare these false teachers who are actually messing with the bride of Christ. I mean, if you're married, what would you do if somebody is, is trying to lead your bride astray? You're, you're not having it. Well, Peter uses the same example for angels as for the false teachers. Then he talks about the ancient world during Noah's time. He's like, There's all these people, I don't know how many millions, maybe a billion people that were totally annihilated because they were living for self, they were not living for God, and he only spared Noah and his family. And then the third example he uses is Sodom and Gomorrah. In broad daylight, God destroys several cities because he's got boundaries. God's got boundaries. He does not tolerate ongoing wickedness. So Peter is encouraging the the sheep. He's encouraging the bride of Christ. God is going to destroy all of this harassment that the false teachers are giving. And then he talks about Lot, uh, Abraham's nephew. He had already talked about Noah being preserved in the middle of that. He's going to talk about Lot because this is an encouragement to these people getting this letter that God can preserve them in this wicked world, even though they're surrounded by these wolves. The the great shepherd is going to, to preserve them in the end. But with regarding Lot, a lot of people are confused because they're thinking, you know, Lot Lot didn't seem like the type of guy that you want to mention in a good way. I mean, he's kind of like camping out in one of the worst wicked forms of Vegas you can ever imagine. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Deliverance, but uh, you know, Lot probably should have gotten out of there a long time ago, but we do know that Abraham pleaded with the angel of the Lord that he would spare the city if there's anybody righteous. He starts off with 50 people and then goes down to 40 and 30, and then he ends up 10 people. And of course, the cities aren't spared because there's less than 10 people righteous in there, but obviously light Lot is considered righteous. And, and he was released from the city by angels. God went in, sent his angels, and got Lot 
out and he's going to get us out of this wicked world. So Peter is encouraging these believers. But you'll notice Peter says that Lot was tormented, tormented in his righteous souls because of all the the sin around him. I want to ask you, my friends, are you tormented by the sin and the brokenness in the world all around you? Are you tormented by the sin in your coworkers that joke around and don't think it's a big deal? Are you tormented by the sin in your family members? Are you tormented by the sin of the people that are part of your church? Are you tormented by the sin in your own heart that one minute you don't think it's a big deal that you minimize and gloss over, but to Jesus, he shed his blood. He was torn in two for that sin. My friends, we ought to be tormented over the sin in our heart and the sin in this world. And we ought, to, we ought to confess. We ought to repent. And we ought to have contrition. We should be contrite. That means we feel sorrow. We don't just flippantly say, sorry, God, I thought that. I said that. I did that. We ought to be pleading with God, have mercy upon me because we're tormented by the infection and the wickedness inside of us. Because the world is not the enemy. And even though the devil is the enemy, truly what's more threatening is yourself. The sin inside of you. That's what we should take to the cross and be tormented by. And Peter's saying that Lot was tormented by all the sin around him. But these false teachers, they're not tormented by sin. They live sexually. They live as adulterers. They live sensually. It... He says that they mock spiritual powers. Interestingly, in the first epistle of Peter, chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, he talks about the devil as a lion prowling around, trying to devour somebody and we should resist him. Well, obviously, these false teachers, and people do this even today, they don't even think about spiritual warfare. They don't think about demonic forces. They don't even believe in Satan. That's exactly when Satan has got them. You cannot resist Satan if you don't even believe in him. And if you're mocking spiritual powers, you obviously don't believe in them. Well, this was the case of the false teachers. And Peter is saying they are on thin ice. They're ignorant. They're acting like brute beasts. They should be trembling before the glorious ones, these spiritual powers. Even the evil ones, they should take them seriously. And then after he had given these three examples of judgment and talking about destruction several times, then he narrows it from angels and the whole world in general and these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah down to one man, Balaam, the original donkey boy, Balaam. Balaam is the epitome of a greedy, sensual, spiritual man. When I say spiritual, I don't don't mean that in a positive way. I mean a guy that acted religious and acted spiritual, but it was all for self. It was very, very dark. And, And so Peter is saying that these false teachers are like the way of Balaam, and God is not going to tolerate that. My friends, do you understand spiritual warfare? Do you understand spiritual gifts? Do you understand people that actually are used by the evil one to get into churches and persuade naive people or new believers or people that have never been taught deep 
theological truth. Do you know how to go toe-to-toe with him? Do you understand and can you discern the darkness and the intentionality of false teachers? If they throw you a curveball with scripture, just like the devil did when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, in the second part of the temptation, he quotes from Psalm 91. He actually quotes the words correctly, but gets the meaning incorrectly, just like the devil did in the Garden of Eden with Eve. He promises more, but he doesn't deliver. Can you go toe-to-toe with that type of heretical curveball? Because if every time you get at the bat, you can never hit a curveball, then, then you're not ready for the majors. And if you're the type of person that's not going to fight for truth, then it's no different than a kid getting up the bat, hoping they're going to walk every single time. They're hoping for four balls pitched in a row. Well, you can do that when you're a kid, but you cannot do that in the major leagues. You need to learn deep theological truth, and you better go toe-to-toe with those who are wolves, with those who are heretical, with those who have false, crazy teachings. And that even includes in our society, not just in the church. Peter is trying to tell them, watch out. Have you ever been on the field? You've been practicing, you've been playing, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're thirsty. You run off the field to the water cooler, it's empty. Or you go to your, your, your water bottle, someone has drank all your water. It's your water bottle. You're so frustrated because you've been waiting to get off the field to get a drink. Peter's saying these false teachers are the same way. They promise all this. It's, it's almost like a water cooler with condensation dripping off of it. But then when you get to it right at the last moment, there's nothing in there. They're all active, but they have no productivity. And Peter's saying, watch their lifestyle. He's saying that they will lure you in. They will bait you in like a predator that's trying to get the prey. We have to watch out for them. And he says they're they're worse off because they heard the gospel and they were part of the church for a while and then they denied it. Well, how can they be worse off? Well, it's the same way with Judas. It would have been better that Judas didn't follow Christ, heard about him after the resurrection, maybe at Pentecost, hearing Peter preach, and then decided, you know what? I think I can follow Jesus, as opposed to tasting the goodness of Jesus and then ratting him out and denying him. The knowledge that Peter mentions in the first chapter and carried on to the second chapter, and then he'll mention again in the third chapter, it's not just factual knowledge. It is relational knowledge. We are to know Christ. So in the first chapter, he talks about putting effort in to your relationship with God, where you grow in knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love and so on. He's saying the false teachers don't have any of this. They don't live this way. But if we begin to build on our relationship with God with this knowledge, then we're not going to be waylaid by this false teaching. It's like in the movie Rudy, when the coach says, nobody comes to our field and pushes us around. Peter's saying, we have to be ready for the wolves. And the only way is to remember the character of Christ, remember that Christ is coming back, and to remember that Scripture is legit. And then watch 
what the false teachers say and watch how they live and don't be like them. My friends, it's so important that we take a stand on truth and we don't back down. Do not be a pushover. Do not be a pansy. Grow some. Get into the word of God. Learn the truth. Share the truth. Live the truth. Give God glory. Magnify your king. Be like the apostle Peter on his last days about to get killed for his faith and warn the sheep. That is powerful stuff. Get ready for chapter three. Chad, thank you so much for unpacking 2 Peter chapter 2 for us. Like he said, maybe you should check out the book of Jude as well this week to help you in your study of the material. Chad, thank you so much for being a good example of how teachers should conduct their ministry. Guys, I'm looking forward to the end of the series. The last episode of this series will be next week, 2 Peter chapter 3. See you next week, and God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast. You can visit our website for more resources and also find this podcast on all major platforms. Full Count Ministries exists to create disciples using the game of baseball. We are a non-profit ministry, and if you have benefited from this resource, we would encourage you to consider donating to the cause to reach every baseball player with the gospel, giving them the opportunity to respond to the gospel, and then to grow in the relationship with Jesus. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast so that you can play a part in accomplishing the mission that God has put on our hearts for baseball players around the globe. Globe.